0: Imagine being a member of the Sanhedrin who did not agree with the decisions to harass Jesus, to haunt his every footstep, to question him at every turn, to try to turn the crowds against him, or eventually to have him arrested, put on trial. You have agreed with none of the council's previous decisions made against this teacher. In fact, from the earliest days, of the rumors that spread southward from the Galilee, you have secretly wondered about the potentialities in play with this man. You have heard the teachings, or friendly spies have told you what they contained. You have witnessed a few of the miracles. You have studied the look in the eyes of the people who have been near to his person. The passing of the last three years has accompanied a secret sense in your heart that something historic, something life-alteringly, world-alteringly important happens to be happening in your day. And yet now, here you are, in the dim lamplight of the high priest's palace Passover week, watching as Jesus is brought before you and your peers for the beginnings of a show trial. You listen to the accusations, false mind you, of all those who've been brought forward to accuse him. You hear the taunts and scoffs and and mockeries of your fellow council members. You watch the hours of that night fly by, the moonlight dying as the sun begins its rise in the east, and you have marveled, at the self-possession, the silence of the accused. Finally, at the question, are you the Messiah? And with the response, as you say, the whole thing is suddenly over, this whole sordid affair. The high priest, with his usual flair for the dramatic, tears his robes. The whole council rises to spit in the face of this so-called blasphemer. You yourself sit silently upon your seat. You do not rise to partake of the condemnation. In fact, you notice that Jesus is looking steadily at you as they all spit in his face, knock him about, slap him, push him. Yell in his face. He glances over his shoulder at you as they lead him away to Pilate. You do not follow. Thus, you do not see the ridiculous convocation of the Sanhedrin and Pilate and his staff outside the palace because of the council's desire to stay ceremonially pure for the high holiday, You do not watch the whipping of the crowds into a frenzy, Pilate's withering resolve, the, the flogging, the beatings, the mockeries, the conviction unto death. You do not observe the teacher carrying his cross up the hill, the help of the stranger, the crucifixion, the mutual agony of Jesus and those two criminals. No, for you have returned to your home in the central part of the city, aggrieved at the course of the last 24 hours. And that's where where you're sitting when the sky goes black. Nearly dark as night, dark black. You'd been sitting in your upstairs room, sitting at your large, ornate writing desk, when out the window... A pall came over the city outside. You rose swiftly to your feet and looked out the window. The darkness was crossing the sky edge to edge like a blanket of darkness. You had to walk with your hands outstretched to find your way to the door down the stairs. And you found your family fearful, (laughs) huddling on the main Three hours passed in this unreal state of night, and your mind returned again and again to him. Hours later, the sky has cleared. A knock at the door. Joseph, your old friend from Arimathea, stands there in the dusk light. He is dead, is all he says. You leave your family behind, following Joseph to the market square for the required aloes and myrrh. You purchase nearly 75 pounds before the spice stalls close for Shabbat. Together, splitting the load, You pass the edge of the temple grounds, where some sort of controversy has erupted over an act of desecration to the curtain of the Holy of Holies. You make your way together out beyond the city wall, where terrifyingly men and women, seemingly raised from the dead, are wandering the precincts of one of the burial grounds. You arrive together at Golgotha. The daytime crowds have dispersed. The two criminals are sagging, dying, their legs just broken. The cross of Jesus has been uprooted from its posthole. It is lying with him atop it, dead in the dust and the dirt. You and Joseph approach the body with awe, with hesitance. You are quietly regarding that face, his closed eyes. Together you kneel beside him. Together you begin to remove the nails. You begin to anoint Jesus. You will wrap him when you're done. Within an hour, you have finished the work, taken the body down the hill away from the city to the tomb prepared beforehand by Joseph. The ending takes only moments. You carry the body inside, stooping your heads low as you enter into the darkness of the interior, and lay the body on the bench at the back. You bow your heads, silent, and then retreat outside. A large crew of men is required to roll the stone across the tomb's mouth. The evening air is still and silent. As you and Joseph walk away, you are likewise silent. You are each thinking your own thoughts about this tragic ending of something that you thought was everything. You can only imagine what Joseph is thinking. You are thinking of something you've been thinking about all day, of that night with the teacher nearly exactly three years ago, sitting on a rooftop terrace, as he looked off over the moonlit city, and you were thinking of his words to you on that night. The Son of Man must be lifted above the heads of men, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the desert, so that any man who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him shall not be lost, but should have eternal life. You must understand that God has not sent his Son into the world to pass sentence upon it, but to save it through him. Any man who believes in him is not judged at all. That is what Nicodemus is thinking of walking away from the tomb.